Welcome to the Delipod with me, James Delipod. And I know I always say I'm excited about this week's special guest, but well, wait till you see who I've got next. But first, a word from our sponsor. As you'll know, I've recently been advocating the positive impact a real food diet can have on your health. And I'm not about to stop. Hunter and Gather have changed the game for me, so I want to keep sharing them with you. They are an ancestrally inspired real food and supplements brand, simplifying optimal healthy living by making the most amazing range of products. Their range spans from great tasting mayos and condiments, all free from refined sugar and seed oils, to cooking oils and supplements such as collagen powder, freeze-dried lamb's organs in easy-to-take capsules and MCT oil. In addition to a 10% discount on subscription orders, which can be uh, on subscription orders, which can be cancelled any time, we've teamed up with the folk at Hunter and Gather to offer you a further 10% off, which you can redeem by heading to hunterandgatherfoods.com and using the code TDP10. Enjoy. Now my secret special podcast. Danny Rampling, I'm so excited, I really am. Um, you you must be, at least for some of my viewers and listeners, mm. the most famous guest I've had on my podcast. Uh, but I think that kind of dates us, doesn't it? We, we belong to a particular generation, let's say. <laughs> well, that's quite an accolade. Good afternoon, James. Nice to be here. <laughs> what an yeah. accolade, an introduction. <laughs> well, well, no, it, it, it's really interesting. I, I suppose it, it tells us something about the, the fleeting nature of, of, of fame. Hmm. Um, because, like, there was... A, well, I'm, I'm the rave generation, pretty much. Yeah. You're the rave generation. You invented yeah. Rave, pretty much one of and the pioneers I, yeah <laughs> yeah um and yet if i mention your name to the kids they, mm. they wouldn't have a bloody clue who you are would they generally no Probably. no so my, my uh, son my son does and his mates he's 19 yeah um he came to a london date where i played at the cross um venue in london three weeks ago and it was great to have my son on the dance floor for the first time a very special moment yeah well, how are the, because I'm, okay, I, I'm, I'm going to jump all over the place because I'm, I'm just so excited to have you on. Um, one of the, one of the, the, definitely one of the best moments of my life, actually. My, mm. Two of them actually involve you. Uh, one was at the, at the Hope Freedom Festival where you were, were DJing. Mm. And it was great seeing the kids dancing to your stuff i mean mm. like kids who kids who, who've done the homeschooling thing which which hope hope freedom festival promotes mm. and the, I, I suppose they were maybe 18 17 and they were appreciating the sort of music you were playing as much as i was and that was mm. good to see mm. so and, and does your do your son's friends can, can they relate to because i i think i think dance music was much better in our day than it than it is now uh, well, it, it was new and revolutionary at that point. Um, but I, I do feel the music is, there's, you know, there's great music uh, in the present. But yeah, my son and his mates, they they love the music because I, wherever I go, and I have been since 1987, I raise the frequency uh, with energy, uplifting energy. It's all very positive. There's nothing moody. There's nothing dark. It's about uh, taking people on a, on a journey and... Um, uh, that that's what I continue to do. So I, I believe it transcends generations, and I'm I, I'm seeing a turnaround. The young, uh, the new generation, they're really interested in the heritage. Um, 
more so than ever in fact yeah yeah but do, I mean, actually do you really believe that, that i mean in terms of the that the music is as good as it ever was because i don't know i mean oh by the way the dog hasn't been fed okay um and can you shut the door when, uh, when it's been fed oh good right um got that that bit over um the uh, i mean look I, i'm sounding like a a, a fuddy duddy year old yeah you know, turn this racket off kind of person but <laughs> turn it I down listen, yeah turn it down turn it down <laughs> I mean, I would never listen to Radio One. Um, no, me too. But if I if I did, I would be appalled about mm. the crap they play now. Mm. It just seems well, to be missing something. Well, it's homogenised. It's that's the uh, the the um, the corporate machine of the music industry. Homogenised music. Everything is dumbed down um, and um, predictable. So edgy bands and um, artists, they, they don't really get a look in on the, uh, you know, whereas before in the 60s and 70s, you, you know, you had people like in the 70s, Bowie and Bolan and, uh, you know, all of these real wild pop stars who were edgy and um, unique. But now everything is um, just, it's very bland. And, and I do believe that Simon Cowell is very responsible for that with all this uh, Britain was it uh, the X Factor? It really, yeah. really, um, it just, uh, it just really homogenised music. Everything fitted into this particular sound, um, and then manufactured that sound a bit like what uh, Stockaken and Waterman did in the eighties. But I have to say, Stockaken and Waterman did produce some amazing pop hits. They were, in my opinion, they were the Tamla Motown of of Britain at that time. Uh, they they yeah. nurtured a lot of artists, but I think the whole uh, X Factor machine and the, the way the uh, 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 corporate record labels have gone. I mean, let's look at oh Sam Smith, for example. What yes. on earth is going on there? What is going on there? It's, it's hideous. Well, hideous. Before we, <laughs> before we try and answer that question, I, I was I, see. I'm I'm working my way. Yeah, I'm, I'm being quite simple. I'm working our way from yeah. the kind of the ravey stuff of yeah. my youth yeah. to what has both what has become of both of us because yeah. we've both been on a very interesting journey. And I think actually oh, yeah. the question you ask about the questions you ask about they sam smith about them <laughs> is is very is, is is very personal can i make a terrible confession yeah i never went to shum um is it pronounced shum or shum s-h-o-o-m yes shum yes i never oh, went that, to shum oh that's a shame that you didn't make it there you would have absolutely loved it hot basement uh, um strobe light smoke cherry flavored smoke apple flavored smoke um a small room with lots of mirrors and it gave the illusion it was a much bigger room and people were transported to another world. Everything was so, so uh, revolutionary and fresh and the energy, the collective consciousness and energy is what made it so special. And there really was a, a, a feeling and this um, uh, people were feeling that they really belonged uh, in this tribe and and they did and that like the 60s with the hippies and the 70s with punks or the uh, mods and rockers you know youth culture had an identity with acid house stroke rave and people came together like 
like like the sixties, really, like the yeah. hippie movement of the sixties. And and I do say that there are parallels with that collective consciousness as what there was with the Leary generation of the sixties. Yeah, I, I mean, I did get a taste of what she must yeah. have been like. I, I went yeah. to um, a night called Love at the WAG. You probably remember oh, yes. that one. Yeah, I played there a few times, yeah. Oh, so got... you probably, I mean, I, I probably saw you play there. I mean, it was yeah. a similar vibe, wasn't it? Uh, similar, but um, I got thrown down yeah. the stairs by a, uh, a an aggressive bouncer in the, in the WAG club at Love um, because I had a can of Red Stripe in my hand after I'd just finished playing. I think it was three or four in the morning and it was closing time. And he took it upon himself to snatch the beer out of my hand and I held on to it. He then jostled me down the stairs from the top floor. So after that, I didn't play there again. And Chris Sullivan said, oh, please come back and play at the WAG. I said, no, not until you sack those horrible security people you've got there. <laughs> oh, dear. I'm sorry that it's got, it's got unhappy memories for you because well, I, I've got, I've got yeah. some memories of being, there was a sort of upstairsy bit, I think, with, yeah. with comfy sofas and stuff. Yeah. And I remember sitting next to this bloke, you know, pilled off my face and he's like, <laughs> mate, I love you. I, I used to be. I used to be a football hooligan. I was really hard. I was on the terraces. I would. I would, I would have come at you with a knife. And now, mate, you're my best mate. I love you. I love you. It's like that. <laughs> Waves of empathy. Yeah, yeah, it was good. I, but it was. It. It. You know. It. It. It stopped a lot of that. You know. People. Um, yeah. You know, people were very. Kids were very tribal back then. And we're seeing it again now in the present. But back then it got very tribal, and particularly around football and gangs and what have you. It's always been there. But it really did break down all of the taboos and um, and the social class and uh, melded everything together. And it was, a, a, it was a, a magnificent time, a groundbreaking, incredible time for music, fashion, art, everything. And the changes that were going on in the world, there was this whole wave of optimism around that time in 1987 was the Harmonic Convergence, which is the uh, which took place in in California. So everything was there was this real energy be uh, between people. And it's what's, like, what's the Harmonic Convergence? I don't know about that. Um, it was a um, a, a, a um, universe a, 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 a astrology thing in California yeah. and. and the start of the age of Aquarius, they say. So okay. there was this shift in consciousness going on, um, uh, and um, and I I do believe that that you know that that did have an effect on us all. Plus, you know, kind of there was the other um, you know the other party additions which induced empathy and euphoria and um, uh, openness. Um, it really, it you know, the whole the whole thing combined the new music, um, the, the coming together of people from all walks of life like never before that was just so exciting and yeah. lifelong friendships were made but i did enjoy love at the wag club you know as as you said you had some good nights there and it was a good club but it was just that one incident towards the end of when they were uh, hosting uh, love at the wag that you know i got roughed up a bit by a bouncer there um he didn't get my can of red stripe initially but he did and then it went everywhere and i got <laughs> pushed down the stairs it's funny it does it does date the whole thing because you don't see red stripe so much nowadays but it was it was the kind of the, the beer of the time wasn't it oh yeah very popular but then again um most people stopped drinking beer at that time but I, totally. I, I, i've always loved beer and um i you know i 
all through those days, I, I didn't uh, take any, um, um, you know, kind of um, substances to uh, lift me up. I, I have that naturally, natural energy, and that's the transference to the audience and feeding off of the audience and the uh, the, um, uh, the the feelings and what they were experiencing. So most of them probably popped a, a pill or a capsule. Um, <laughs> like they yeah. did in the sixties with speed and rhythm and blues and everything, you know, it had and the seventies, uh, you know, acid. But it had a, you know, it had a a, supp a supplement, should we call it? <laughs> well, let, let, let's. Well, you are so lucky that because imagine if you you developed an e habit in then in in 80, 87, 88. Yeah, I mean, you wouldn't be with us now, would you? Well, you, you'd be a cabbage. <laughs> well. Um, um, I'm very balanced in life, but um, I'm not. I, I I did quite enjoy um, eating a few of them. Right, right. <laughs> I, you know, there's no denying that. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, I. Uh, yeah, but if you had to do it every night, I think you'd have been. It would have that would have been a bit demanding. Oh, absolutely. The, um... I've always looked after my health though, and oh. continue and continue to look after my health. Um, that's so, very. Very, very important to me and my and my values. Before we go down the rabbit hole, I just, yeah. want, to, I just want to briefly enjoy our period in kind of normie yeah. world. Um, so, I don't believe anything I get told about the history of of music anymore. But yeah. is it is it roughly the case that you and a few other DJs yeah. went over to Ibiza in eighty yeah. six, yeah. like the club music? Yeah. brought it back is yeah. that what happened well there was there was a couple of clubs in london playing house music there was delirium with nolan morris watson there was black market which was hosted at wag club by Rene galston but those those clubs uh and yeah rip they were very very um underground clubs but what we did we brought back some of that beta magic and and uh projected that into um london a london venue um and we brought back everything that was going on on the dance floor in ibiza as well and um and that's what made it the whole thing well, the really huh <laughs> what the live sex shows that that stuff <laughs> no live sex shows <laughs> that came later <laughs> okay you you mean the the, the the smoke the taste of apples and stuff or well, what was what or, or, well, or just the the, well, the, mu the music that we were inspired by DJ Alfredo in Amnesia, which was an open air club. It was a, a farmhouse venue in the 60s that and the 70s that a lot of um, the um, Vietnam vets went to who migrated to Europe and the Sinyasi um, uh, people uh, and uh, just uh, uh, bohemian uh, characters and artists and um glamorous uh, glamorous stars and so on so it was a real mixture of people on the dance floor in amnesia and um yeah it was um it was uh, uh, also all you know there was this wave of great californian e as well yeah when did you have your first e in ibiza what, what year can you remember 1987 so it, and it, it it induced a massive wave of uh, creative 
influence and inspiration. We were greatly inspired by everything we experienced and couldn't wait to get back to London and start our respected clubs. I hadn't been a club promoter before that trip to Ibiza. I was just a, an aspiring, uh, budding DJ, um, climbing the ranks. And, uh, and it gave me the opportunity to create um, my dream. So my dreams came true at that point because of my energy, foresight, vision, dedication, commitment, um, and motivation to make it happen. And that's what I did. And I was so influenced and inspired by Ibiza. Um, Shum uh, began in a, in a fitness centre in Thrale Street in London SE1 on the South Bank. And um, uh, the first night uh, we did in conjunction with a, an, a, another guy who was playing more rare groove sound. And there was two crowds. So it didn't really, it didn't really work on the first night. Then the second night um, we... Um, hired Carl Cox and his sound system. And Carl, at, at that point, um, he used to put sound systems in all, all, all over the southeast. So, yeah, he he played. And at the same time, he was um, he was teaching me how to mix. <laughs> so, you know, I thank Carl for his uh, mixing tips. And, um, yeah, that's how it all began. But, uh, within a matter of weeks, um, there was a queue around the block. Uh, and at that time... Um, Southwark and that area was very, very much an industrial wasteland. And at the weekend, there was no one there. It was a ghost town, apart from the market trader pub in Borough Market with the market traders. So all along Southwark Street, all those buildings, I mean, now it's a very, very different landscape there with swanky yeah. restaurants, hotels, bars. And it's great. I love that area. But back then, it was it was very industrial. And it was quiet on the weekend. So we had this fitness centre an unlicensed gym, not that anybody wanted to drink um, booze, only a handful of people. And Lucasade um, became very, very popular yeah. to yeah. keep hydrated. And it, it gave Lucasade a new lease of life. Lucasade all of a sudden had cottoned onto the fact that all of these trendy young kids and, you know, um, were drinking Lucasade. What's going on here? But that all came as a result of the heat in Shum. It was a very hot basement, um, and that's how it began, really. And um, and, and at that time, um, my wife Jenny, uh, she worked in Yoji Yamamoto, the fashion store, as a manager. So she knew a lot of the um, fashion people in London and art students. And we used to go to the art colleges and um, walk uh, around the West End and the Kings Road because at the Kings Road, still back then, in the, in that point in eighty. 86 87 was still a you know a kind of a trendy place to go and buy clothes and hang out so those were the key areas we targeted with flyers and would go go and talk to people kensington market you know have a chat with people and the next uh, you know the next week they'd come along to the club so we, we we marketed the club virally it just happened very organically and word got out there and so many people came to the club um so many people who, uh, Kevin Rowland from Dex's Midnight Runners, um, Paul Rutherford, Frankie Goes to Hollywood, um, uh, Martin Fry, Mark White from ABC, um, Phil Dirtbox, there were models there, um, all melded in with um, with um, street kids from Bromley and South London and South London, you know, kind of um, clubby kids. So it was a real melting pot of people. You're making me really nostalgic for that era. And also actually a bit envious that, because, you know, 
I, I could have been I could have been you. I I, I made the wrong choice. I, I decided to become a journalist. Yes. But I suppose if I hadn't been a, been a, a journalist looking out for kind of stories, yes. I wouldn't have discovered the scene when I did anyway. So mm. it, it was swings and roundabouts. Mm. But look, tell me, you, you just must one have... moment, one moment. Boy George used, used to come along there as well. Um, Fat Tony, Lee Bowery came down a couple of times and just breezed down the stairs and said, "I'm not paying." My brother asked him for five quid. It was five quid to get in, and my brother used to sit on the door and he just breezed in with these light bulbs. Um, he had that outfit at that time. He had uh, his ears were light bulbs, <laughs> and the the security, uh, well, the doorman Eric, he said. Hey, light bulb chops is here. <laughs> He's not going to pay. <laughs> well, there was a, there was a, there was workers from uh, the fashion industry and Vivian Westwood, and yeah, it was a real uh, diverse uh, group of people, a mixture of people. It was you know, it was really really great, very special. Yeah, yeah. But sorry, I interrupted you there. No, 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 no. I was just I, I was now moving away from that yeah. uh, happy bubble of. Mm. of when the era, by the way, E was really expensive. I mean, in, in, in current price, it was, I think it was about 20 quid for an E, wasn't it? Mm. Well, imagine what that would be now. That would be about 60, 70. Yeah. I mean, in, yeah. in inflation. Yeah. Um, but it was good. It was good stuff. It was. Oh, yes. <laughs> it, well, it was pure. It was pure. It was it was used for um, medicinal purposes with um, therapy and counseling in California. So that was the source of it. Um, that's where it was sourced and um, came here from, uh, into the UK from, and and that's why it was that's why it was so expensive at the time. So um, you, you've, you're familiar with all Mark Devlin's. I am. I, I, his... I love Mark. I, he's a, he's a, he's a friend, and um, I have I, yeah I have uh, featured on his podcast. Yeah, I, I really like Mike Mark's writing style and his presentation. He's great, Mark. Yeah. So there's, we, we've just been talking about the version of reality that, that we both remember <laughs> experiencing, more or less. <laughs> Give or take a few, a few <laughs> fuzzy, fuzzy tricks. Um, but we know now, which, yeah. we, which we didn't know then, yeah. was that there was a, behind this, we were just puppets of a, of a larger agenda mm. plotted by some very sinister people. Mm. So, for example... You've you've seen the, all the flyers for for the for the for the, the second summer of love. Yeah, were basically a rip off of the flyers from the first summer of love, which was all about sort of eyes, single eyes in the middle of triangles and pyramids mm. and mm. It, it, Illuminati symbolism. Um, presumably, you weren't aware of any of the significance of any of this stuff going on at the time. No, not at all. Um, Shum, uh, the identity of Shum was Smiley's face. Uh, we we adopted the smiley face. Well, I did. I saw a stylist, Bar Barnsley, wearing this uh, um, waistcoat with all smiley badges on from the 70s. And I loved the smiley image from back then as a kid. And I, and I immediately said, that's, that's going to be the symbol for Shum. And that's what we adopted. And we stayed with that and a heart symbol also. So all of that other imagery. And just to um, state, because I didn't really play on those big raves. I did one or two at the beginning. I did the first um, sunrise uh, event in Wembley. 
Uh, I did one for uh, Kevin Millins, uh, which was uh, an offshoot of Rage. But I didn't plan all those great big um, raves for Tony Colston Hater because I just saw it as uh, commercialism and uh, just um, it was a money-making enterprise for a lot of people. And that wasn't where I was coming from. You know, I was happy that I was playing to 300 people in, in my club with people who were very responsive to the music, loved the music, and... Um, that was enough for me. You know, I wasn't after the money. Um, I could have made a huge amount of money. And I was invited to go into a partnership with Tony Colson Hayes. He said, come with me. I will make you a millionaire. I said, I'm already a millionaire here because my dream has come true. I'm living the dream. <laughs> yeah. I don't, I don't want all that money and everything that comes with it. I am actually, this is worth more than any amount of money. Money can't buy this. Oh, I, Danny, I've got this. I've got, I, I told you the story at the time, but, it, but, but you, you were there. You were part of the story. But yeah. when, we, when I did that, that gig with, with a few uh, comedians, you know, Ab Abby and, and yes. Alistair yes. And, and Tanya, and, yeah. um, and afterwards you played the after yeah. show. Yeah, and it was great. There was some of the, it, it, I I said like if I could have gone back in time, yes, and and said to myself in ten years time, yeah, you will be attending this after after show party for your show with these lovely beautiful people who who like are your fans, but they're also your friends and they're wonderful, mm. and you've got Danny Rampling DJing for you. I'd have said no, ain't gonna happen, ain't gonna happen, and it did happen. It did, it did happen, didn't it? I wasn't dreaming it. It did happen. Yes, it 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 wasn't a, a dream, and um, it was a great night in Bethnal Green. It, it was, was it was a lot of fun. fun. Yeah, a lot of fun. Yeah. So here's the weird thing I've yeah. noticed that. Um, a lot of the resistance yeah. to the craziness going on in the world now. Yeah. Um, a lot of us are not not all of us are we're, we're the rave generation. Mm. Why, why do you think that is? Why 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 do we sort of get what's going on the the, the evil of what's going on better as a breed than most people? Well, you say that, but um, it's quite surprising that there are many from our generation that don't get it. But I do believe that was a, a, a an awakening of consciousness back then, back in 87 and the two summers of love, 88, 89. It really was an awakening of consciousness. That's what we were experiencing. And many of us have continued that into the present. And I do believe it's part of our life journey. It's part of our dharma while we're here in this lifetime. So... Um, back then, we really were changing our own world, but we also believed that we were changing the world at large. You know, the Berlin Wall was coming down. Apartheid was falling in South Africa. There was such remarkable positive change going on. And um, and that, that's what we were all experiencing. And that collective consciousness is powerful. And I do believe now at this, this <clears throat> terrible period we're in now, although it's very thrilling, dangerous, exciting history at the same time. Um, again, it, it's an awakening of consciousness. And some people are further back along the path of consciousness than um, than uh, than others. And uh, I do believe that everything is going to be okay. This evil that oh. is going on is not going to triumph. It's not going to triumph. We're here to raise the vibration, love over fear, 
I don't, we don't fear anything they are uh, imposing or attempting to oppose or threatening us with. We have no fear, no fear of any of them or anything they are attempting to uh, to restrict us and uh, uh, this this agenda, Agenda 21, Agenda 30, that people believe, some people, is a conspiracy theory because they're too lazy to actually do some research and understand what it's about. So I, I think there's a whole wave of cognitive dissonance and uh, 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 the, um, uh, the uh, German, uh, uh, not German, the, the Belgium uh, psych, psychologist, uh, Matthias Desmet, his, his, his book on the science of totalitarianism, uh, he has termed what is actually happening around us mass formation psychosis, where the herd stay with the herd and you have 20% and we're in that 20% over here and over there you've got the volume of people who are just feeling safe in the herd and don't want to know what's going on right before their very eyes. Now it's an it's an extraordinary time we are we are living in. It's um it it, it, it sometimes you think you have to pinch yourself and think is this actually a, a reality? You know, I've had this constantly over the last three years because I've been on the front lines fighting this on a daily basis. Yeah, you, know, you I, have. I, yeah. I, I wanted to ask you, I, I'm going to ask you in a moment about your your yeah. awakening. But, yeah. but first of all, I, I want to just talk a bit more about the yeah. music scene and, yeah, and okay. how, how things work. So we know from... Um, from uh, what's it called? Um, my brain's gone blank because probably too much enjoyment in the late ages. <laughs> Weird scenes inside in, inside um, Laurel Canyon. Um, we we know that the entire West Coast music scene of the late sixties, yeah. yeah, was essentially a CIA psyop, just just yeah. as the Beatles were created by the Tavistock Clinic mm -hmm. and the Rolling Stones as well. They were created to subvert the youth to mm. achieve the goals of the the, the cultural marxist agenda yeah. um yeah. to to break up the family to alienate children from their parents and so mm. on so so we understand how 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 the music scene the the, the controllers the, the the people who the the, the people who are the record company moguls yeah. and the yeah yeah the, the the guys who invented gangster rap in order to to put more black people in prison, you know, in private prisons, and that. Mm. So, do you think they miscalculated with with rave? Because mm. the, the the MDMA is is kind of the wrong drug to. It, it made us love one another, and it made us. It united us. Exactly. Um, I've I've heard these theories. I know that Mark Devlin he. He thought that I he he did, I believe he wrote in his book that I was part of the psyop military psyop. Um, Are you? With, no, no, no. I'd served in the TA uh, in the middle of the eighties, but I was not. I can categorically state I was not part of a military psyop by creating Shum. <laughs> you're quite you're quite That's, deep cover, uh, but I didn't know you were in the TA. Why were you in the TA? I mean, not not that it's a bad thing, but why? Because, because I wanted to join the army as a young man and follow my grandfather's footsteps, who I lived with. So he was a, a role model to me. So I. I, I uh, considered having a military career. So I went to Sutton Coalfield for selection and wanted to join the parachute regiment. And I trained hard for it. And 
I got turned down because it was shortly after the Falklands War and the army was oversubscribed with recruits. And what that did, it, it did me one of the, I think it, at the time I was absolutely devastated because I, because I went home and I said to him, well, I haven't got in. And he said, oh, don't worry about that. It's okay. You know, it's um, his, that you could join the Territorial Army. I didn't know what the Territorial Army was. So he gave me the number of the Duke of York's uh, HQ in King's Road. And I went there and um, joined Tempara and went through P right. Company. So I had the best of both worlds then. You know, I... Did, did you my get life, your did, you Yes, yes, yes. Yeah, yeah. How, so how many jumps I, have you done? I only did seven jumps. Uh, you say I, only. It sounds a lot to me. Well, it's not. No, it's not. Um Qualify, uh, qualifying back then for para parachuting was eight jumps. No, I had an no. yeah, I had an uh, at Bryson Norton. I had uh, an abnormal landing and smashed into the ground because I thought the thirty-five pound container, which I released from the clips, hit the ground with the thud, and I was not in the landing position and creamed into the DZ and smashed my uh, left shoulder. Uh, and dislocated it, so that was um, that was me out of out out of action for quite some time. However, you know, I I persevered with it and stayed stayed uh, in the regiment for just under three years. So um, the thing was back then, um, unemployment was really high. I left school. I couldn't wait to get out of school and go to work. And as I said, I lived with my um, grandparents. And, uh, yeah, he, he influenced me. And he used to sit in the kitchen with me, make food, tell me all these great stories. I mean, not, you know, kind of gory, glory stories, but just, you know, kind of how, you know, uh, you become very resilient and a man. And I have to say that that experience really taught me so much about myself and resilience, which has served me well for all of my life through the ups and downs of life to keep going. You get knocked down, you keep going, you get up and you go at it again. So I, I have total um, uh, respect for everybody who's been through that. And I'm very proud to have done, a, you know, just my, you know, kind of my bit at that time as a young man. I was like 22, I yeah, 22, I think. Yeah, 20, 21, 20, 21, 22. And then, yeah, yeah. Um, Shortly after, yeah, around what date was that? Uh, Eighty-six. I, I left and I went to America um, and travelled around the states uh, for just under a year and got two jobs in um, Key West. I was working on oh, nice. yeah construction site in the day with a Vietnam veteran, Dan Drum. He loved the fact that I'd had some military experience. Of course, <laughs> and, yeah, um, you'd serve. Yeah, and then um, at night in a, in south florida's leading restaurant at the time which was called the pier house uh, very swanky um dockside restaurant near mallory square with the sunset and um so yeah i was a runner in the restaurant there um could have ended up working in the kitchens but my life would have been very very different um as if the army had accepted me that day there was this colonel sitting there with his dog and they, they give you a psychological quizzing and ask you what books you read and what music you read, uh, listen to. And I said, Tamla Motown, well, it's soul music. They probably wanted someone who's listening to heavy metal, death metal or something. So, you know, uh, I, I did ask the army records, why was I, uh, why was I turned down? And they said, there's no record of it. 
But it, back to what you said there. No, I'm not part of a military psyop with acid house. Okay, that, that, that was a good. Okay, um, was, your, your granddad presumably was was um, was in the war. Yes, he was. Yeah, in uh, Burma, and uh, he was part of the uh, British uh, expedition force uh, ahead of the Second World War. He was a TA man before uh, the war began. He was in the Territorial Army for a number of years. Um, and uh, he was a long service service military career, and um, he was in the BF. He was evacuated. He was shelled at Dunkirk. He lost most of the members of his platoon, and um, he was evacuated and managed to get off of that beach. Um, I haven't been there. I would love to go there, but he greatly inspired me, and when I went and did P Company in order shot in the summer of 1983, I believe. Yeah, 83. Um, he died shortly before I got to um, the uh, P Company is Pegasus Company. It's a two, two for the Territorial Army. It's, it's exactly the same as the regulars. Um, it's two weeks, so it's condensed into two weeks. So there's milling, which is boxing yeah. for one minute and ha- leathering the shit out of each other. Well, um, how's that? Uh, uh, how is that? Well, it's, yeah. it teaches you to stand on your feet and take the blows. So they match you with somebody. And it's it's really brutal. It's brutal. It's the longest minute you could ever have. But it teaches you to stand on your feet. Um, yeah. uh, there's the uh, stretcher race, the log race. There's the 10-miler with a 35-pound backpack and, uh, and rifle across Long Valley at the time. Um, so there's the Trinasium where you go 60 feet up on scaffolding. I look at that now and think, how on earth did I do that? But at that time, you know, I was quite, I had a good head for heights then. (laughs) So there was all of this that happened, but he died shortly before. So all I thought about was getting through the the gruelling, gruelling test. It's a massive achievement. There was 130 men that started the CADA and there was, it was either 13 or 16 of us that passed and got a beret in Malta Barracks in um, uh, Aldershot, which is, ad- which is adjacent to Browning Barracks, which was the former home of the Parachute Regiment. So there you go. There's an insight into my history. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, I mean, obviously, if I'd done my research, I'd have known this stuff, but I don't do my research because I, I prefer it to emerge in the conversation. That's really interesting. So have you been on a similar journey to me in terms of your understanding of the military? Yeah. And and the war and the history of, of the war. I mean, I, you know, people like your granddad, I remain in awe of anyone yeah. who went through that experience and came yeah. out or, or yeah. didn't come out. I mean, it was it was horrible. But yeah. when you when you when you realise the true history of, of the wars and, and mm. who's funding it and stuff, you, you yeah. kind of get a, a rather jaded view about I have the now. Glory of- absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. But you know, as a as a youngster didn't have that um, uh, that capability and understanding of, uh, of, of the history. And um, and as I said, I just wanted to follow in his footsteps and thought it was a good career move. And um, But would I do that now? I'm not so sure. I'm not so well, sure. Well, it's like your, your mate, the, the, the Vietnam vet that you work with in, in, in Key West. I mean, I mean, if you re- presumably he had some stories to tell about his oh, experiences. Gosh, yeah, yeah, yeah. He was, um, yeah, he was a ferocious character. <laughs> he was and quite, he, hip, he was quite a hippie though. He was one of those um, ex-Vietnam kind of 
grateful dead, but not completely grateful dead hippie, but he, he was a bit hippie-ish. And um, yeah, he was a good good builder. And um, yeah, but he but, he didn't tell the gory stories, but you know, he'd, he'd sometimes hint about things, you know? Yeah. 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 It wasn't glorifying it at all, you know? I think I, I think old soldiers tend not to talk about the really absolutely the nasty stuff. Absolutely. And I think I think what I've what I've realised now mm. it took me a long time to realise this because I was a I was a massive fan of World War Two, if you can yeah. be a fan of World War Two. I used to read military histories and kind of, you know, knew all the campaigns and kind of wished I'd seen the elephant, probably as you did when you were jumping out of your plane, you know, you were <laughs> probably living out your Arnhem fantasies, weren't you? Or or Oh yeah, uh, the history of Arnhem. Battery. Yeah, the Arnhem and Merville Battery are some of the um, finest history in the regiment. But totally. uh, Arnhem is a uh, uh, yeah. I mean, the, the the sacrifice that was made at Arnhem. It's the scale of it is huge, and the and, and the ferociousness of the battle there. Um, and I had been to Arnhem a couple of times. I was there on the seventy fifth anniversary because there's a, yeah, it's a pilgrimage to respect. Uh, forefathers so I will be going there uh, with friends uh, next year because it's the 80th anniversary uh, there's probably there might be one or two veterans left but there used to be you know um, a lot of uh, of those veterans would be there present it's a very moving experience Arnhem at Oosterbrick ceremony on the Sunday uh, you can there are no birds chirping in the trees it's just eerie silence there's no wildlife you can't hear any wildlife it's really eerie. It's a very moving experience. Really moving. Yeah. Well, the, on a on a sort of personal sort of tactical level, these yes. men were 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 doing extraordinary things. But the bigger picture, you realise. I, I mean, I don't don't know how deep the rabbit hole you are on this. They yeah. were essentially a blood. It was all a blood sacrifice. The, the whole of the Second World War was, it, yeah. was essentially kind of a money making sort of power operation by the yeah. people who yeah run the world yeah what's go going on now but in a different theater um this no. is a, this is, I, I i'm not totally well versed with that but um i need to read more about that i i'm kind of aware of it um but this yeah. is what's going on now it's the same it's the same principles and it's the same um bloodline families and it's the same um bunch of criminals basically you know kind of subhuman criminals and war makes money war the war machine makes huge amounts of money and wealth for corporations and arms dealers and manufacturers so it's a real yeah. vicious circle isn't it if we look at Zelensky what's going on in Ukraine uh, at present you know all, where have all these billions gone to that are being just handed over to Ukraine including UK money taxpayers money just handed over uh, to 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 a money launderer a money laundering actor but he's yeah. only a, he's only a puppet for who's above him isn't he really it's it's so murky and corrupt and people are not seeing it people are not seeing it i mean there's still people waving those flags come on let's go and beat the russians <laughs> i i think you can probably count on the fingers uh, of a, of a sawmiller's hand the number of, of, of top international DJs who are making this point, Danny. <laughs> well, well, Unfortunately, well. because people are not aware. People choose not to be aware. And again, it's the mass formation. You know, I, 
I, I do a lot of research. I, you know, I, for, I have for the last three years um, and I'm aware of what's going on. I'm very aware of, and yeah, I, it, it's not just through researching, I'm just consciously aware. And when this began within a matter of a month, I knew that there, this was not right and that there's wrongdoing going on. And then I started seeing, I saw a video of you in Hyde Park, which um, was uh, featuring one of those early demonstrations uh, in Hyde Park. It was the first one. That's right. I I watched that and I thought, these are my kind of people at this rally here. Gosh, what's going on? I wasn't at that rally because I didn't actually know about that. Um, uh, I think it was a Keep Britain Free rally, wasn't it? You know, I, I'm not. I, I, I just remember I almost got arrested. <laughs> Police were wandering around. Yeah, it was weird, and I didn't realise then. I, I, I saw all these weird people, these anti, these anti five G people and anti the anti vax. I thought, yeah, yeah, these are these these people are a bit a bit strange. I'm I'm just here to protest for against the lockdown, but but whatever. Yeah, they seem nice. <laughs> uh, yeah, I watched that video, and I just uh, I just thought, um, yeah, something is. Uh, Something is happening here, and I feel that I belong with these people here. Yeah. And that's what's ha- that's what's happened. If we, you know, kind of over the course of this three years, particularly those massive rallies in London, uh, they had to put a stop to that, didn't they? What there was like two million people on one of those rallies. It was incredible the way you know people travelled from all over the country from those early uh, those early demos in Hyde Park at Speaker's Corner. But then I started looking at. Um, London Real with Brian Rose and I do believe that Brian Rose really platformed a lot of the people like Robert F. Kennedy Jr. and um, uh, Judy Makovitz and um, uh, Rash- Dr. Rashid Batar and all of these um, great uh, minds and people that are ag- totally in opposition to this whole pandemic. and it is a pandemic. it's all mm. been planned, it's an agenda and anybody who's in denial of that is completely blind. It's so overtly obvious and clear. And many of us are aware. And we we caught it early on. I went through an experience. I went through an experience of corporate extortion in um, 2017. I spent close to a decade under this massive pressure, financial pressure, through corporate extortion with an American vulture fund and collusion from Clydesdale NAB Bank in the UK. Um, I was involved in an eco uh, uh, house building project and the uh, the bank sold their top, what they termed toxic debt book to the American Vulture Fund, who then pursued personal guarantees on commercial loans. Lloyds Bank did this as well. They were the first yes. bank to do it. Now, it's a scandal. It's unregulated financial extortion and practice. And there's bank fraud that's gone on, wholesale bank fraud. Anyway, to cut a long story short, that taught me so much about uh, uh, the corporate machine and the extortion from corporations and the banking cartels, and and I, I do believe that as you know, as as really challenging as that was, it put me in a much stronger position when this thing come along. Could just just smell it a mile off. This is this is total deception. This is deception. Yes, well, that sort of partly answers my question, which is which is why you? Because I think people people 
go down the rabbit hole in different ways. They have different entry points and stuff. But normally there's something that happened to them to put them in the mindset whereby they started asking questions and they didn't they didn't trust the system. Yeah. Um, and so that was your that was your first taste that this is not the world that we're sold. It's not the world where there is a functioning legal system to protect us and that, oh, and that politicians are there to do our bidding because we vote for them and it's a democracy. Yeah. All these illusions we're sold. Yeah. So, so was it was it a was it a kind of sudden thing or was it a was it a I'm, I'm going to change the the, the, the light um, battery because it's flashing in me. So you, you, you knew something was up. You saw, you saw that video of the first the first demo. But what what were the you, you, you become quite radical. What what were the what were the things that that um, I'd, I'd been in Asia um, on a tour in Australia, and uh, the day after leaving Perth, they closed the country down in Australia, and there was no one no one was able to get out of there for months. So we would have been stranded in Australia. And thank God we got out of there. And uh, I was watching the TV in the cafe in um, uh, Perth Airport. And they were taping off the shops and um, um, taking stuff off the shelves. And uh, it, they were preparing for their, I don't like to use that L word because that's prison talk. They were preparing for, uh, you know, closing things down and restricting society. Got out of there. But in Asia, it was it was... The Asian Asian culture are, are used to wearing masks, and um, it was a requirement. And I was I was on the flight, um, and I, I wore it for uh, a couple of hours, and I just took it off. I said, "I'm not wearing it," and <laughs> I'm not wearing the bloody thing. I can't breathe in it. I don't care <laughs> if I get some illness. I'm going to get the illness, aren't I? May sound a bit irresponsible to some, but I knew I, it didn't feel right on my face. And yeah. Um, yeah, I you know I didn't I didn't. Uh, how did they re How did the the flight crew react? They were okay, actually. Were they? They were okay. They there was no um, there was no um, uh, no there was no 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 flight crew came and said you must put that on. Right. They they offered them. I think at that stage it was a little it was it was still a bit optional. Yeah. It was a requirement in on the Asian airline and in the airport in Bangkok as well. But um, Australia, they didn't have those restrictions in January. And I was seeing these news clips come out of BBC News in the gym um, in Thailand of all of those people being um, chaperoned into those box uh, uh, vehicles, those police box vehicles. And I just thought, this does not feel right. We know about China's human rights uh, 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 a record through my uh, activities with the Free Tibet campaign. However, I, I looked at that and just thought, this is not right. And people 
dropping dead in the street, you know, kind of collapsing and stuff. All this stuff on BBC News. It's so, mm, not sure. Not sure. That seems very over the top. And China are breaking down people's doors and everything. Well, that that's a Chinese way, isn't it? So, um, yeah, coming back here, um, uh, there was the uh, two, it started with the two weeks to flatten the curve. That that was it. So I thought, okay, well, we'll just get on with this. It's two weeks. We'll just get on with it. I had a full diary of work. I turned a corner um, and my financial path was looking great. Full diary the whole year. Um, two weeks later, it was extended, wasn't it? And that I think that was the point. From memory, that was a point where I really started to, no, this is definitely not right. It's not right. And then I started seeing all these videos. Then I started looking at uh, London Real, watching all those videos on there. Uh, I followed Kate Shemarani on Instagram, and I was drawn towards the, I was drawn towards the information she was presenting. So um, that's how it began for me. But I had I had um, been very aware when I watched Zeitgeist, the movie, back in early two thousands. In fact, Mark, Mark Devlin will tell you the story that I recommended him to watch that film. Um, I don't know it. it. It's called Zeitgeist, the movie. Yeah. There's, I think, there's two or three um, um, editions of that film, and that just that just exposes everything. Everything, as you were saying about the Second World War and the money machine and all of this, everything combined about um, uh, climate change and just everything, religion. So, really, really, uh, uh, the, the pharmaceutical corporations. Oh. So, around that time. Or shortly after, it, I think it was two thousand and it was when Facebook began. Was that two thousand six? If you remember right, uh, back then there was the um, swine flu um, um, yeah, yeah. scare, and the health secretary at the time was a chap called Salim Fox, and he um, instructed this mass. They were going to mass vaccinate the British public. Do you remember that um, with the HN one jab? I was very vocal on Facebook at that at that time, and um, there was a, a a lady called Jane Bergermeister, who was a uh, this uh, character who uh, didn't reveal her identity, was uh, uh, living in Austria, so that the, you know that's the um, the uh, I believe where she was living, but she was really vocal with the information, and Facebook was very democratic and open back then. There was none of this bloody nonsense of false checkers and you know yeah. <laughs> that pathetic yeah. nonsense we're watching you um and yeah we were very vocal about that and the bbc went out on the streets of brighton you can see this clip on youtube and they were interviewing people in the street and all of the people that they were interviewing said no way we're not having we're not having that bloody uh, that vaccination no we don't need it it's a flu we don't need it and i am I now I really can see that that was a trial run for what we what we've experienced in the last couple of years. They it bombed and it failed miserably because yeah? they were seeing what they could get away with, weren't they? And they realised that we were not ready. We hadn't been prepared enough. Absolutely, and the public were aware and um, dismissed it. They dismissed it, most of them. But there were people who were injured from from that uh, rollout. Uh, health workers there's a number of people that were injured and um, that was presented in uh, some quarters in the press and that put people off as well so they were not ready and they didn't get the um, they didn't get the uptake so there was millions of these vials of the blooming 
uh, snake oil that were just um, destroyed. Yeah. 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 So I was very vocal on Facebook back then. Very, very vocal about about the, the, the hoax of all of that. You must have suffered professionally because of your your principled stance and all this stuff. Yep. What, what what's happened? Yeah, I mean, um, in, as I said, in twenty twenty twenty, we all lost the right to work in the in the music uh, uh, scene. So the whole year of work evaporated, and I got very depressed for a few weeks. And I'm not a depressive person, but you know, everything had gone. There was no work. There was, and, and that's my sole income. And um, having that other experience, turning a corner with that and then going out of one fire into another was a lot of a lot of mental pressure, a huge amount of mental pressure. But also, I, you know, I have, yeah, like most of us who have stood up and who are standing on the right side of history and um, have been vilified and. Uh, you know, all, uh, you know, kind of all of this toxic, you know, kind of uh, uh, reactions. And uh, I, but I believe that now there's less of it. There's less of it than what there was in 2020 and 2021. Oh, you're cons- conspiracy nut jobs and all of this and anti-vax and all of this. No, we are critical thinkers and we're free sovereign beings. Our DNA is our DNA. God is in our DNA and we protect our DNA. Our DNA is not the ownership of the state and pharmaceutical corporations. And people don't think about this. They don't think about what their DNA is. They just don't understand it. I think it's maybe out of the capacity to think. And the fact that uh, that your body is, is your health is a para, it's paramount. So putting some trial substance into your body is horrific. It's horrific. I, I, I just couldn't even consider that. I couldn't consider it. Well, you get that. I get that. And probably most of the people watching and listening get yeah. that. But I mean, there hasn't been much resistance from, well, anywhere, really. I, I, but but let's, let's focus on the music industry because that's, that's, that's yeah. your realm. I mean, okay, Mark Devlin apart. Can you name any DJs well, who've been... There's a handful of us. There's uh, Slipmat, the rave DJ. There's, there's oh, there's some others there, but it, yeah, there's a handful of us. Um, Has Fat Boy Slim been speaking out? As, no, um, no, none of those. Um, uh, fold. None of the uh, 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 you know kind of stadium filling DJs have spoken out about it because uh, I don't know what their views are on it. Some of them may be harbouring views, but that's their decision. You know, I. I, I I was taught by my grandfather to stand up to wrongdoing, and that's that's what I apply in my life. And this is wrongdoing, and I'll stand there fearlessly against against this evil, um, and can see it for what it is. Uh, I I don't give a shit what people think about me and what they kind of have thrown at me. And there are promoters who refuse to book me. I lost work. You know, I used to work for certain promoters regular. Don't work for them anymore because of their views. Yes. And this is the great divide. This is the great divide, James. You know, it's divided society, hasn't it? It's divided people. There's this massive divide. Totally. I I wanted to ask you on specifics of that. So so there are are promoters who will not use you now for what? For wrong think? Because you won't promote? Because of my my views. (laughs) And and, and how much? it's, It's ridiculous. 
It's, but this is this isn't just contained to the DJ industry. This is contained to the you know the live music, the gig circuit. There are bands that have spoken out that you know they've they've experienced the same thing. But I do believe we're coming out the other side of it. There was this hysteria, this mass hysteria and paranoia, and oh my god, you know we're all going to die. This fear, this wave of fear, and fear is the core driver in all of this. It's underpinned by fear. And when people cave and, and they fold into fear mode, it produces results that are um, uh, uh, that, that are very difficult for people around them that who share who don't share their views and have have a a, a, a viewpoint of their own and are not following the herd. So, you know, what will be will be. But I know that things are things are improving uh, on 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 the circuit. But I went through 18 months of some very, very challenging times. Right. But are you, without wishing to tempt fate, I mean, are you kind of too big to fail? I mean, mean, if if a certain percentage of promoters won't use you for ideological reasons, are there enough other promoters out there to give you the work? Yeah, Yeah. absolutely. Absolutely, yeah. Yeah, it's only only a minority. So you just move on. But... um, Yeah, I was I was um, banned permanently from Twitter um, for my views, and there was um, it was around the time of that um, propaganda around the Indian um, funeral pyres of oh, this COVID um, epidemic has taking thousands of lives in India. Well, India they burn the, the dead in on the Ganges in open funeral pyres. And what they filmed there and they presented to the public created this hysteria. And on Twitter, I got absolutely lambasted by the fact that I'd put videos up of a London rally with everybody, you know, kind of together and um, um, uh, Bob Marley playing with a sound mobile sound system. They, this kind of click in the music scene, the, this, over the Twitterati musos yeah. took a lot of offence towards me. Did they? And I do, I do believe that they, some of those, so, probably some of them had made complaints about my account or reported posts, and I got permanently banned from there. So, I, and it done me a favour because I wouldn't go back there. I will not go back to Twitter. I was on there too much, and it was eroding my time. And time is very precious. But. Haven't some some major names in DJing died of of jibby jabs? Uh, yes, there are um, there are some people that have sadly passed away. But in in all the fields of entertainment and uh, uh, and uh, public figures and sports, and there's the correlation isn't being made. There's just this. Well, it's a sudden sudden death. Um, um, I'm, I'm trying to remember the names. Um, well, there's, yeah, there's, there's, there's a handful of people, but um, um, can't totally say it's related to uh, uh, the injection. But there are a lot of deaths that surround uh, that are uh, um, that are rising uh, due to the complications with this um, uh, this uh, mRNA product, and there are there are scores of injuries. Isn't it right that the ONS have stopped reporting um, the um, the injury side of things? Is that right? The the I, I know that the ONS the statistics yeah used to be reliable, but but is now has, has mm. kind of joined the the, the psyop machine. Yeah. so you yeah. can't really trust their yeah. data anymore. By the way, whenever 
I try, particularly with, with, with people from the music industry, whenever I point out to kind of normies, look, this yeah. person's died a bit young, don't you yeah. think? Could it yeah. be? Yeah. The line you get back is always, yeah, but they've unhealthy lifestyles, blah, blah, blah. But yeah, yeah, they automatically assume that it's normal for a DJ to die in his fifties because <laughs> you're all a bunch of degenerates. Really? <laughs> well, I mean, that, that that's how they they justify it to themselves. You know, it is mm. it is. Yeah, they, they assume you must do a lot of yeah. drugs and the late nights mm. and stuff. Must mm. that's why you die young. Well, it's a way of avoiding the subject matter, isn't it? Really, and there is a terrible lot of avoidance going on, unfortunately. And it again, this is fear related. If you could put yourself in that position and you were in that in that position, and then think, well, hmm, could it be that, or you know, I'm not feeling too good myself, but no, it can't be that, you know. And that's those are the lies we tell ourselves. You know, there's um, Scott M. Peck's book, the 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 the, the, uh, the is it the um, oh the lies that people tell themselves? I believe it's called. That's a great book on psychology, which is also very apt for what's going on now. But I think, you know, kind of being in that position, you, I, I don't know. I, I think that's, that's where the denial comes from. That it's just the absolute fear of like, oh gosh, have I made a mistake? You know, it's hard to admit our mistakes in life, isn't it, generally? Yeah, yeah, it is. And, it, and it's, well, I can see why you'd want to be in a state of denial if you've taken this experimental um, substance and put it in yourself and you know you're a ticking time bomb for the rest of your life I and mean, it's happened to my some of my loved ones and i just worry about them all the time yeah but do you do you think that you obviously haven't been jabbed do, do, was there a sort of private knowledge within the industry do you think that these things were dodgy did people get fake passport passes or did most people just get it thinking oh i need to travel and it's going to be fine because they wouldn't lie to us a lot of people did have a, a, a step forward for that reason, just to travel. I know a lot of people who did that without thinking, look, I need to travel, my work and everything, when there were other ways. There were loopholes with um, documents and stuff. But I resided myself to the fact that, look, if I've travelled the world countless times, and I know I'll travel again. So there's no way I'm going to uh, uh, put myself through that just to travel. That's, you know, that's... No, that's bribery. And also to go into a club with a passport at the time, you know. It, that it was, just was low. Absolute mm. bollocks, absolute nonsense. And um, and we stood our ground and we're continuing to st stand our ground. And we're going to stand our ground around digital identity as well. You know, this is our, this is the, the biggest battle that we face. But all of, <clears throat> all of that, a lot of people did just go down that road because of what was attached to it. Well, you can't travel without it. You can't go into a venue without it. It created this uh, this urgency and this fear and the campaigns that they drove behind it, you know, those dreadful marketing campaigns, just awful, appalling, fear-based campaigns, you know, the Tavistock Institute, uh, PSYOP, an absolute PSYOP, put, fear of, put so much fear into people. I used to look at those signs in absolute disgust, contempt and annoyance at, at the evil nature of how those how that marketing was conducted. It's completely evil. It's evil. It's it's sadomasochistic. And I also believe that we are living in a very sadomasochistic society through the dumbing down of culture. 
whereas people have become masochistic you know answering to to the uh, being obedient to the perceived master the the, the you know the, the sadist masters well you 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 travel i mean you get around a lot you, yeah. you must know lots and lots of well you must learn lots of djs and stuff yeah well what were they saying privately were they, were they were they more on your side but not admitting it in public or what don't really talk about it <laughs> really no no generally um i go to gigs but that that's not really discussed i mean i had a couple of couple of talks back then in 21 when in july when it was freedom day when we could all go back and have the right to work in clubs and stuff um but yeah it wasn't really mentioned it was just it wasn't wasn't the thing I mean, that they 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 know i know and just there's no point talking about it generally because we're on the couple of occasions when we did speak it's like you know they just kind of look straight through you as if you're like some crazy head <laughs> yeah, that vacant, I was ask you, that, yeah that vacant stare and like kind of shock <laughs> have, have you become known on the on the circuit as the sort of the voice of the resistance so you've attracted a kind of a new a new a new following of of, of awake people yeah i think i well i that gig at hope was uh, that was a great gig um have i attracted a lot of awake people i'm not really sure actually but I don't know. That's a good point. Um, yeah, I mean, I used to take the um, uh, the speaker backpack to the rallies and um, walk the route. A lot, well, a lot of people took those big, it, was, it weighs about 30 pounds, strap it on and um, it's booming, uh, sound box speaker. So I, I, I took that to four rallies and um, thankfully um, my friend Ben, he did a crowdfunder and um, somebody from Stand in the Park from Hertfordshire um uh put half of the money in to buy that and we we uh, we crowdfunded uh to to get this speaker to take to the rally so you know thank you to everybody who did um contribute to that uh, so, it will make it will make an appearance again but yeah um i think you know i think you know crowds in clubs and festivals there are people from both sides and I feel it's not as extreme as what it was in the, in the height of it in 20 and 21. Seeing this shift on social media in 2022, in the early part of 22, things started to shift. There was less uh, toxic uh, insults. There was less, you know, kind of toxic uh, uh, reactions and all of this. And um, that there, there, people were more asking questions and gravitating towards the information and saying thanks a lot of people say thanks for sticking your neck out and that's you know i'm not looking for thanks but it's nice to get th someone to say thank you to you know for, for your efforts because i put a lot of effort into this like all of us you know we're we're, we're in we're at war here this is a spiritual war this is it is yeah it's a spiritual it war between good so and evil okay so you're good and evil uh, where are you on the devil does does he does he exist does he how does it work uh, well i don't think the devil exists but there's uh, an energy force of a uh, de demonic evil energy force i mean we've got all this uh, uh satanic uh ritual abuse that is all being exposed and it's so dark it's so macabre and dark and evil and all of this is being exposed now and they 
are, must be trembling in their boots, the perpetuators of this. Anyway, let's look at Epstein Island. Uh, you know, kind of where are those? The, the flight logs, you can find them on the internet. There's all those names on there. But why has nobody been brought to court? Because they're so high-powered, and it's this whole circle of, uh, of, of deceit and, 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 and grotesque evil um, harming children. And it's just, it's abhorrent. But the, the, this is part of this demonic agenda, and we can see it in the, um, in the music industry, in the corporate side. As we spoke about Sam Smith earlier and some of these artists dressed up in, you know, kind of, and there's demonic imagery as part of the set and all of these leanings towards it. And there was that Travis Scott concert in middle America where all those kids died. And there was this frequency being um, uh, 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 pumped out of the sound system, a very um, uh, frequency that is, it evokes hate and evil. Frequency is very important. And, a lot of people died at that concert. So there, 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 there is this movement around this demonic energy, absolutely. And there are different variable degrees of, of evilness within this, uh, this energy field. Yes, I, I've, I've noticed this, that, that it, they've got much, they've got much more overt, haven't they? In there. Absolutely, yeah. Yeah, um, it's it's like Marina uh, Amrabovich, isn't it? Her her spirit cooking and all of these like uh, celebrities that are there, you know, kind of ogling it all and sitting around a table with all of this, you know, kind of spirit cooking. Whether that's uh, a human flesh there, who knows? There are, you know, kind of who knows? Um, yeah. It, yeah, it's it's bloody evil. It's absolutely evil. It's grotesque. It's all coming out though. This is the this is the era of the truth, and the light of the truth. And this is the uh, the the the, uh, the the shift and the chapter in uh, in all human history. And this is the greatest deception in all human history. The grandest fraud of all time. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, where do you, you, you're confident that that it, that it all ends happily, but I mean, presumably you, you're you're not a Christian. You 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 just believe in sort of a force for good and a force for evil. Is that right? I do. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I was I, um, christened as a Christian, Church of England, but I I am not a churchgoer. I do believe in a higher power, and I do believe yeah. in that the soul is eternal. And um, and the world of spirit, the other dimension, which is the spirit world, and I believe in reincarnation, and we're reincarn reincarnated into the vessel of the body. Those are my beliefs, and I believe that when we dream at night, we enter into the spirit world. We enter into that other dimension, that other place of consciousness, like like Sandman, like the Neil Gaiman. Yeah, that's <laughs> well, that's my personal belief. That's where we go um, uh, when we're off to sleep at night. Yeah. Right, we're we're yeah. in a, we're in another world, another realm of consciousness. Um, yeah, I, I, but the things like you you said, people are sort of getting almost back to normal. Uh, well, after the, well, but I don't know. No, not 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 quite. Maybe that no. was a bit of an overstatement, but I things yeah. have things have calmed down a bit slightly because people think 
people think everything is kind of relatively normal, but we know it isn't. We know it isn't. All of this is still going on, and we can't take our eye off the ball, off of the ball. Um, yeah. But the other proportion of, of society just believes, well, everything's okay. There's nothing going on because they're not looking at the World Economic Forum and the Davos uh, and and the 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 climate con as well. And it is a con. What's going on with this? This is the pandemic part two that's being steamrolled in. Um, all yeah. of all of this. Um, Part one has been the rollout. You know, this is a ferocious war, and we've got we've got bigger battles uh, on our hands. And um, and I feel that the digital identity is our biggest battle that we are going to face. And we have to stand united, and we have to stand firm in our intentionality and renounce it. We have to renounce it in non-compliance. If we have forty percent of the British public, just this country, we will keep it here who renounce that and do not comply with it, it's over for them. It's over. We've won. And this is what we have to get across to people, is the message of non-compliance. Lord Jonathan Sumption said this in one of his early speeches uh, that I gravitated towards in 2020 about uh, the British way, how we like to queue up and we can only take so much. And then it gets to a point where the British public becomes... Uh, 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 becomes non-compliant and and then there's peaceful civil disobedience to end matters and I'm I, I feel we're seeing this with this Ulys um, uh, and these 15 minute cities we're at, we're at a very crit critical junction point here of the 80 percent we now are seeing some of that 80 percent coming over to the side of the uh, of the road of the 20 percent through these matters that have been put on their doorstep now it's it's impacting them financially the same with the orchestrated and cost of living crisis another crisis it's this is a crisis that is a crisis it's wordplay it's all wordplay we know this is all part of the world economic forum stroke davos davos not so great reset this is all part mm. of it the digital identity, the social credit system based on the Chinese model and the central bank programmable digital currency to lead to lead us into enslavement. Well, we're free and we're sovereign and they will never enslave us if we stand united in non-compliance. We have to have the strength, the courage, as those men and women did back then, close to 80 years ago and stand there and do not falter do not falter and it's over for them it's completely over i'm totally with you danny yeah yeah well that's a, I mean, that's, that's a good way to on that rousing note so tell us tell, tell us where we can uh, where we can find your staff um where you have, what, what campaigns are supporting at the moment uh, I support um, Together Declaration. I'm one of the uh, um, initial signatories of Together De Declaration. I would have been speaking at the uh, Ulis rally on Trafalgar Square today, uh, but unfortunately um, there were some, some um, delays for me to get there, so I wasn't able to make it on time. Um, I support the International Liberty Forum, and I support Save Our Rights. I support... Um, Oh, gosh, yeah. Who, who else do I support? Yeah, International Liberty Forum, Save Our Rights. Um, 
and uh, uh, the uh, Together Declaration. Um, those are the main groups that I support, but I support all of the groups. And um, we're all, you know, we're all brothers and sisters and we are one in this in this battle and this war. And this is about, you know, it's about unity. And uh, wherever I can lend support, that's what I do. I'm very active on social media, on Instagram and Facebook and um, petitioning and lobbying and part of those campaigns with those groups. And also, it's uh, not our future, David Fleming's group, which uh, we went to Oxford and leafleted 60,000 homes uh, with the, around the 15-minute cities in Oxford. So um, uh, Not Our Future is a great group, and um, there's going to be more uh, ahead this year. And also support on the creative side, uh, Unified Artists for Freedom. That's a lot of <laughs> that's a lot of campaigns. And where can people find you? Find your where you're playing next? Um, on my social media accounts on Instagram. I'm, I'm um, mainly on Instagram and a uh, Facebook music page, uh, where I also uh, those pages are not just uh, dedicated to my music activities. They are a platform for uh, awareness. I only share authenticated information. I do not share fear porn. Uh, the future hasn't happened yet. Uh, and let's not catastrophize the future. I personally feel the future is abundant. We've got a way to go with this. And it's gonna, it's gonna be, there's gonna be much more challenges ahead. There's gonna be more yeah. challenges. It's not, over, it's not over by a long shot, but we are winning this. We're gonna, we're going to win this. and. It's going to give. There's always there's already cracks widening in this whole deception. They're widening, um, and it. Well, will, I hope you're right. It, it, the whole thing will come crashing down. It's going to come crashing down at some point. That's good. That's good, Danny. I, 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 I'm on that reassuring note. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm really hoping. Um, and um, thank you for listening and what to and watching this podcast. Um, Please do keep supporting me on, on Buy Me A Coffee. That seems to be popular at the moment on Locals, on Substack, on Subscribestar and on Patreon. Please give me your support. Um, I really appreciate those of you who do it. Thanks a lot. Danny, thanks again. That was great. Thank thanks you. A lot. And one last thing. Just bear in mind some of the greatest battles against all odds have been fought and won over the course of history. And we're not fighting this battle against all the odds. It's you know there's a there's a there's a small percentage of these people, these entities, and we are the many. They are the few. We stand united. We win in unity. There is victory. Great. Thanks, Danny. All Thank right. you, James. <laughs> all right. Have a Keep good day. Keep pushing on. <laughs>